Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning. Just a reminder, next week looks a little different, right? And so, uh, 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock right here in this room, 9 o'clock to about 9.15, we just kind of gather, have a prayer, uh, a few thoughts, and then we just disperse everywhere across this community, this city. Um, Man, this year has just brought even more opportunity for us, and so... It helps a whole bunch if you go on line and register and you can look down through all the different options and maybe you're just like outdoor indoor that's all I care about designating uh, maybe you want to be a little more specific and you're welcome to to put that in the notes but um, it's gonna be a great day and uh, Crossroads Napoleon is joining us also and so we're gonna try to integrate together on the different outdoor projects doing a couple indoor or three indoor projects. Two will be here. One will be at, at Crossroads uh, Napoleon. So maybe if you're doing something there, you, you'll go there after you leave here. Some people are going to come here. The idea is for us to serve together, two churches together, integrating uh, in all the different projects. And so what time is it next week? Nine yeah, 9 o'clock. Um, for you guys, it's no big deal, right? This is when you come to church anyway. It's the 1030 crowd that I really have to stress that to, but looking forward to that. You know, it was about five years ago, uh, we had bought a house here in town, and um, just like with any house that you buy that's not a new build, you uh, generally, uh, you go in and, and you're looking to uh, update things, change things. The house we, we bought was like built in the 60s. And so, inevitably, there were rooms that, uh, they still look like the 60s. And uh, that was the upstairs bathroom. Uh, I can't even describe the color of wallpaper. Uh, I don't know what the name of it is. It's some kind of peach something or other. I'm sure it has some uh, technical name, but uh, let's just say it was horrid. It was horrid. Whoever would want to... to, uh, to get ready in a room like that, but um, you know what I'm talking about. The, the vanity, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was built so well that I'm pretty sure you could have used it for a tornado shelter, even on the second floor of this house. It was so sturdy. I mean, I, you know, normally with a vanity, it's easy to tear them out, right? And, and a lot of times what they're made of today, not, not this one. I mean, it was like real wood and and double wood and like man that vanity was not going anywhere and uh nicole and i just were like man we've we've got to 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 redo this thing so we jumped in and uh, we had this this cool picture she had the cool picture i just followed the directions uh what she was seeing but um we wanted to uh we ripped everything out except for the shower shower was had been replaced but um uh and we wanted to do a, a cool like ceramic tile floor Right? I had never done a t- tile floor like that. It looked amazing. And I thought, how hard can it be? <laughs> so I get my cement board down. That's easy, right? And I jump into um, to putting in this tile floor. 
Of course, she's joining me. We, we do these projects together. And she's actually, to be honest, I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but she's probably handier than I am. Um, she's amazing. I think it's nothing for her to call me in the morning and say, hey, the dryer broke down. Like, okay, I'll get home, figure it out. Get home and, like, it's all torn apart. And then, like, yeah, I already ordered the part. I'm like, okay, I'll put it in when it gets in. It comes during, you know, before I get home. She's already put the part in and fixed it, and the dryer works. And I just feel like less of a man every time. <laughs> but we're doing the project together, right? And so um, how hard can it be? You know, you got to figure out the, the, the grout in between and the, and the stuff. And I will say this. It turned out amazing. I tried to find a picture of it and I couldn't find it. It turned out amazing. Everybody that walked by that bathroom or went in that bathroom was like, wow, that looks really good. The floor, man, there was not, it was level. There wasn't humps. And that's what everybody saw, how good it looked. But every time I walked by it, there was in the back of my mind how we got there. And I'm going to be honest. I'm nervous, I'm, you're working with time-sensitive materials, you don't want it to dry up, you're trying to get it right, you're grouting, and um, there was a whole lot of conflict that happened <laughs> while we were putting that floor in. It looked great, but I would walk by sometimes and remember, oh my goodness, remember that project? Because Nicole and I were trying to figure it out together. You ever do that? Try to figure out something together? And I'm going to be honest, like, wow. <laughs> it looked really good. But nobody had any idea that Nicole and I had fought at a number of turns putting that floor in. No, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Why are you doing this? You're doing that. No, no, wait, wait, wait. You know, like. No one saw behind the scenes the conflict that had inevitably arose when we were trying to do a project. Everybody's looking at me really weird. <laughs> like you acting like, like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And dude, you need to get your game together. I know differently. You got to remember this. I've been in pastoral ministry for 18 years and I have sat with dozens and hundreds of couples. So. You can act like you got it together, but you don't any more than I do. And you know, I think that's often the reality of, of our married lives. To get to where we want to go, it's not a smooth road. This phenomenon of two becoming one is definitely not the happily ever after kind of finishing the movie picture that Hollywood presents. It's such a remarkable thing. It's such a mystery. But it's also, also, I think, the most demanding of responsibilities that we can face in this world. Of two becoming Last week, we talked a little bit more about the why of that. I believe the scriptures are showing us that our marriages are a witness to the world of the relationship God wants to have with his creation. 
I believe it's a taste of the greater marriage that's eternal. Because our marriages are temporary. There is one marriage that is eternal. That is Christ, the groom, with his bride, the church. And actually our marriages, I believe Ephesians is reminding us, is but trying to help us taste a little bit, to develop a yearning, a desire for the greater eternal marriage. That's why your marriage matters so much. Beyond just your own fulfillment and your own happiness, and I pray for all those things. But there is greater purpose behind your marriage. And that is to whet the world's appetite for a God who longs to be in intimate relationship with them. And when you have a healthy, God-honoring, spirit-filled marriage, it only points people to what God wants to do in their own lives. That's why Paul says, I speak concerning a mystery. I mean, you, you know, this two becoming one of as Jesus said, a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife, and the two become one. He says, but the bigger deal is Christ and his church. So we talked about the why last week, but I think it's, it stands to reason to spend a week talking a little bit about the how. The how. If your marriage is a witness to the world of God's desire for relationship, if two becoming one is this remarkable, transforming a lifelong companionship that is vital to our not only just our homes, but then our homes to our churches, our churches to our communities, and our communities to our culture. Um, figuring out how to do that is, is important. And obviously, we could take a year talking about how, right? Um, this is a vast subject, and I want to talk about why last week and how this week. And I've just used the... the kind of, what do, I don't know if you call it curriculum or that kind of stuff that's out there um, developed. And uh, we're just kind of remembering these principles. You could do this 700 different ways. Again, but you're coming back to, to at the core of what marriage is. There are time-tested time biblical principles that create a healthy marriage. And it matters. And so let's think about the how. We talked about last week about seek God. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that starts with your spouse. And together, seek God together, um, creates this idea of, of this being your first priority. If God's your first, your spouse is your second, it's amazing how this gets flipped so often. Our world lives for these relationships first, but the church and those who follow Christ make sure that that stays in proper perspective and proper priority list, but together we seek God's will and plan for our lives. And I remember, I just shared with you that one keystone habit. We all have keystone habits, habits that if we get this right, it's amazing how this a cluster of good habits follow. And obviously our marriages need the keystone habit of praying together, praying together. But I want to talk about the other four today. And again, I'm just trying to drop things that maybe stick. And somewhere in the whirlwind of life, oh yeah, like those two words, it's 
it just sticks. And so seek God, but fight, fight fair, fight fair. I think the scriptures give us this idea of how to fight fair. You see, all couples fight. Healthy couples fight. Unhealthy couples fight. The difference is healthy couples fight clean and unhealthy couples fight dirty. Healthy couples fight working toward resolution. Unhealthy couples fight pressing for victory. You know if you win in marriage, you probably didn't win for the marriage. If you won the argument, a lot of times you didn't help make your marriage better. You just won the argument. Because so often how we go about dealing with this conflict that exists, Paul talks about marriage, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be conflict. Going about how to do this in a healthy way is crucial to understanding how to have a marriage that honors God and witnesses to the world about his love for the world. It was John Gottman, the marriage guru, who uh, has studied marriage, and he would say that within five minutes of watching a couple fight, uh, he had proved that like, he had a 90-something percent accuracy if that marriage was going to last. It was not if they fought, but how they fought. Everybody going to admit that you fight today? Right? I think I went into marriage thinking that if I felt guilty when we fought, because I believed like Hollywood and I believed other things that like something's wrong with your marriage if you have conflict. Because the healthy marriage has no conflict. And when there's conflict, I felt guilty. And then I lived in marriage for a little while and realized <laughs> either I can just leave guilty or I can figure this out. What's the real thing? And um, I think a lot of times we, we have this mindset and the world definitely does, in a world that is 50% uh, on, the, on the pace of a divorce rate, that's not in the church, okay? A lot of those numbers are thrown out there a lot of times. That's not in the church. Um, you know, 50% of marriages, even in the church, end in divorce. That's not true. But our culture definitely has 50% divorce rate, one out of every two. And often it's because the minute they, they have an unrealistic expectation, that marriage is this happily ever after. And the minute that things start to get tough, and there's differences, and there's conflict, then I must have chose the wrong one. And so I just need to go back and choose a different one, and I'll find one where there's not conflict. We call those people married five times. Right? Because it doesn't exist. Conflict is a part of Marriage. In fact, I would say this, conflict is normal. Conflict is actually an opportunity for growth. But conflict must be diffused or it will destroy. There's no doubt that it's, it's a part of marriage, but it has to be dealt with in a healthy way, practiced in a healthy way, or it is destructive. And actually, healthy conflict demands rules in that conflict so that no one gets hurt. I mean, think about our conflict. Where does it come from? Differences in belief create conflict, doesn't it? Like, produce conflict. Um, 
uh, and I'm not talking about like core Christian beliefs here, but like, man, I brought in certain beliefs about marriage and my wife brought in certain beliefs about marriage. How things were done, right? You open gifts on Christmas Eve. Like that's the only way to do things. She was like, no, that is terrible. We open gifts on Christmas morning. We had different belief sets of it. Come on, guys. You know what that's like. What are we going to do? Like, I'm talking about we come into marriages with different beliefs about how things should be expectations, beliefs about roles, beliefs about how you treat, beliefs about how you raise children, beliefs in differences in belief just bringing two into one produce conflict. Do they not? Differences in perspective produce conflict. Man. The way I look at things because of my personality. The way she looks at things because of her personality. Differences in perspective absolutely produce conflict. When you're bringing two into one, you have two different, per, different perspectives. And you generally believe your perspective is true. And the other person needs to change their perspective. Right? And so there's conflict. Differences in style produce conflict. Yeah, I mean, I had all the style when we got married. I had to change her to become stylish. You guys know that's not true. You should see some of the pictures. I can't believe she even looked at me. Anyway, joking though, difference in styles, like how you, how you interact in family produces conflict. And obviously, the scriptures would teach that our own selfishness, though, often is why we have conflict. Perspective, just a different viewpoint, a different belief set, a different style. Those things are not necessarily selfish. But then you have the real reality of people who have been born with a fallen nature and need God's sanctifying work throughout our whole life, but we're not there yet and we still deal and wrestle with selfishness in our own lives. Well, then when you bring two people who have tendencies to be selfish into one thing, needing to make one thing with two, right? Naturally, there comes conflict. I love the fact that Christ promises that in Christ differences complement and they don't compete and in Christ selfishness is transformed to servanthood. How do we fight? I just want to just want to remind you of some things. I think James chapter 1 verse 19. We use this so often in how we interact in our community, in our faith community, in our work community, in our church. This should be how a Christian acts. Well, I'm telling you, it's first practice with your spouse. This is first practice with your spouse. And if you want to live this kind of lifestyle, you will not live this lifestyle unless you first live it with the one that you're becoming one with. And James reminds those believers, my dearest brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. These three things, I think, become a template, a blueprint for how we, as married couples, can learn to fight fair. 
Conflict exists. How do we allow it to be something that moves us forward, makes us better, and creates strength in our marriage? How do we allow conflict to not become the splintering thing that either causes us to go our separate ways or to settle into a marriage that is not a companionship but a partnership? This has become one of my biggest concerns is people have figured out they, don't, they shouldn't get divorced. There's a lot of reasons why they shouldn't get divorced. You know, it's, it's not good. God hates divorce. It's bad for kids and on and on and on. And so they, they've created the line of like, well, I don't get divorced, so I'm honoring God with my marriage. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have settled for the bare basic elementary thing. You didn't win if you didn't get divorced. You win when your marriage is truly a two becoming one and a companionship that God wants for your life with your spouse. And I see a lot of marriages that are partnerships and not companionships. They've settled into, and there's, there's no growing together. There's no becoming a better person uh, with one another. There is no, and, and our world is starving to see marriages that are vibrant, God-honoring, life-giving as a witness to the power of the grace of Jesus Christ who can take two selfish people and make them become one through his power. And unfortunately, the world looks a lot of times at Christians and there's too many partnerships and not companionships. And fighting fair is oftentimes that line where we just fall into a partnership or if we figure it out, we grow into a companionship. So I want to remind you of these three things. Stop to listen carefully. Guard your words faithfully. And handle your anger righteously slow or quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry it's been said that a problem clearly defined is 50 percent solved and many of the problems the conflicts we have in our marriage is because we are not hearing what the other person is saying we're only captivated by our opinion our truth are what we need to do. It's Proverbs 18 that says, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Right? Wow. And so I want to remind you of this, in this quick to listen, this stop to listen carefully. Gottman, the marriage guru, uh, as he's studied thousands and thousands of marriage, has come to this, this understanding of a five to one ratio. I thought this was interesting. I thought it was noteworthy. I thought it was good for us to consider for just a couple minutes. It's been good for me to think about in my own marriage. The five to one. How do I listen carefully? How do I become a person that is quick to listen. This five to one ratio is this. For every one negative feeling or interaction between partners, there must be five positive feelings or interactions. 
And I've thought about this this week. This is so dead on true. Like, my wife can, well, I should probably flip that. I can say one negative thing to my wife, and I guarantee you, it's going to stick with her, right? Like, we obsess when something negative is done, uncaring thing is done. We are the kind of people that, man, you can do a number of things nice to me, but I have a tendency to gravitate toward the thing that's hurtful. And I nurture that, and I obsess about that, and I want, right? And the five-to-one ratio, Gottman says, is that healthy marriages have this consistent ratio of, yes, if there's a negative feeling or interaction, there's some conflict, there is a balance of five positive feelings and interactions. Stable and happy couples share more positive feelings and actions than negative ones. Unhappy couples tend to have more negative feelings and actions than positive ones. Partners who criticize each other provide constant negative feedback, aren't supportive, don't demonstrate affection or appreciation, or behave uninterested in their partner are in relationships that are out of balance. Again, how easy is it to obsess about the negative comment? And honestly, my simple observation of my own marriage I'm walking through, but also in a number of marriages, this is so true. Quick to listen. Stop to listen carefully. Think about something like a five to one ratio. Are you showing interest in your spouse? Are you showing affection? Are you showing care, concern? Are you verbalizing appreciation? Are you listening to understand what they're saying instead of just waiting to make sure they get your point? Are you creating an environment where it's easy to laugh and have fun and be light? Or is it always negative, always heavy, always critical stop to listen carefully second thing is slow to or quick to listen slow to speak guard your words faithfully proverbs reminds us to watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble amen let me say that again watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut i actually got to say that today Felt good. I can't keep my mouth shut about saying you to tell you to keep your mouth shut. Slow to speak. Something I am learning is should it be said and should it be said now? Amen. Oh man, this is married life. Should it be said, should it be said now? Like, and I wanted to remind you what we have learned, that in our communicating with each other, there are these four attitudes, actions, practices 
that so often stop us from fighting fair. It's these four words of criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, and then stonewalling. You see, there's a difference between criticizing and complaining. I know it's hard for you to maybe grab a hold of that, but complaint addresses a specific action and maybe which your partner has failed. A criticism becomes global. It attacks character or personality. Complaint, there is no gas in the car. I'm aggravated that you didn't fill it up like you said you would. Is that a valid complaint? Is it? So you're like, no, I don't even say that. Right? Here's the criticism. You never remember anything. Right? Boy, have I seen this in my... I'm trying to, like, Nicole and I have a really good marriage. Like, I'm not just, like, saying things up here on the front. It's taken 18 years. And it's, it keeps getting better. So when I'm transparent and honest, I don't want you to think that like we're like on the verge of divorce. I just want to be open and honest with you and transparent. Because where's the real? But like definitely, like you start using words like never. You start attacking a person's character instead of a specific action. That criticism just creates an unfair environment. It's not fighting fair. That criticism often begins to turn into contempt. When you start to criticize a character, contempt is composed of a set of behaviors that communicate disgust, uh, sneering, sarcasm, name-calling, eye-rolling, mockery, hostile humor, uh, condescension. Honestly, this is primarily transmitted through nonverbal behaviors. It doesn't move toward reconciliation. It only continues to increase the conflict. It's disrespectful. This is what begins to happen when criticism is allowed to be unchecked and we're slow to speak. Then we begin to characterize. And then we begin to become contemptful. And then defensiveness begin to only see their problem and we begin to say things like, the problem is not me, it's you. And from this position, you imply that because your parent, your partner, maybe they threw the first stone, they're responsible for the entire conflict. You avoid taking responsibility because you have characterized them through your criticism as bad or they're the problem and you avoid, take, you avoid taking responsibility for your own behavior by pointing to something they did prior to their complaint about you. You do not acknowledge that which is true in what they are saying about your behavior. Well, you can't fight fair when it's one-sided. Amen? (laughs) Are we here today? Like, I don't care if I'm doing the talking today. This is good. Like, this is really good. I promise you that if you practice this, your marriage is going to be healthy. Guarantee, promise. If you practice these principles, you are on the road to a marriage that ultimately ends up being a witness to the world about the power of Jesus Christ. And that's your purpose in a temporary marriage. That's your purpose. And defensiveness, boy, like, 
I sit behind a desk. I've seen it in my own marriage, and we've had to try to figure that out. But you see it often like there's valid complaints from both sides of the, uh, the, 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 the chairs, right? When you begin to see someone who just, it's never them, you're not going to fight fair at all. You're basically insinuating you're the perfect spouse. And I get that oftentimes there can be a greater percentage of liability from one partner. Sometimes actions can be terrible. I mean, I, I've, I've, pastored, I've pastored people. I, I pastored this one man. I'm just going to go ahead and share these things. It's okay. Who, um, he's just a complete jerk. Been unfaithful to his wife. I mean, I'm talking dozens of people. Dozens. You sit down with them, though, and like, she had all the things to work on, fix. Right? Like, like he, yes, yeah, she, she did this, she did that. And then like, she was like, she couldn't even speak up. I'm thinking, what in the world? Right? Defensiveness, you just, you can't fight fair if you're defensive, if you don't own your own stuff, if you don't have an accurate picture, a, hu a humility of life, that I'm flawed, I'm imperfect, I might be a little bit difficult to live with too. I've got things about me that probably aren't, uh, it's an adjustment. Defensiveness, if, you, if there's a defensiveness, you're not gonna fight fair. Stonewalling ultimately becomes a place where one or maybe both just decide, you know what, I'm over it, I'm done. I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm just going to kind of settle. What a terrible place to find yourself in, right? Of course you're not going to fight fair if you don't even engage in the fight anymore. I know that there's been times where Nicole and I, maybe I just, I'm over it. And she gets more fired up by the fact that I start to stonewall by it than anything else. Because you not engaging is an unbelief in what we have going on. All right, I'm gonna keep moving because this is dead quiet in here. How to fight fair, 957, that's all I'm gonna talk about today. I, was, I got a bunch more, but that's all I'm gonna do. What they have found, Gottman found, was this. That the most significant contributor to marriages that last is gratitude. Gratitude. Criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. All of these things can be dissolved can be changed, but a lead measure in that is developing a heart of gratitude for the person that God has given to you. And so I just ask you today, fight fair, quick to listen, slow to speak. 
your marriage desperately needs for you to fight fair. Your family, your kids need to see a healthy picture of relationship for their own future relationships, but primarily also to break open their understanding that they are relational in nature, that relationships matter, that relationships are life-giving. This is how God wired us, and God relational in himself is calling us to relate to him and to others. Your marriage is a primary, primary way that God communicates this reality in the world. And if that's so, and if conflict is a part of two becoming one, then how you handle conflict and fighting fair is primary. And I'm telling you today, if you're sitting there listening, you're like, I don't even know what to do. I, I feel like, I, I guarantee all of us are like, oh, yeah, could do better with that. I would say the one thing that you can do today, especially on Mother's Day, it's an easy win. But this week, start to change the habits. Begin to develop a heart that is grateful for what you do have. For that person that you were attracted to in the first place. Begin to verbalize appreciation. Begin to speak words. Begin to think through a five to one ratio. We cannot have five negative feelings or interactions and then five positive ones. This isn't a, okay, we're balancing the scales. No, we are designed. It's why the scriptures remind us over and over that God loves us, God cares. We are desperate to hear. It's why God tells us more than anything else to fear not. Because as human beings, as sheep, as God has, has characterized us, we desperately need affirmation over and over and over. That's why God is such an affirming God. And in marriage, affirmation is crucial to health. Think five to one. Okay, so we had this negative interaction. What are those five things I'm going to do to, to continue to communicate how valuable they are to me, how much I admire them, how much I love them, how much I just, I love living life with them. And if you're having trouble uh, answering those questions, I don't know. Right? Let's fight fair. The world let me start microcosm. Our families are depending on you fighting fair. Our church is depending on you fighting fair. This community is depending on marriages that are healthy and fighting fair. I believe our culture goes back to the home. And the home goes back to marriage. Let's seek God. Let's fight fair. Father, I just pray today as we continue to think about how. Lord, throwing out a bunch of stuff. Maybe some of it's completely new. The five to one idea. and I get there's no book, chapter, and verse for that. But Lord, it, it all, the science is all, all affirm. True science. True science affirms what you have created 
that's always been. And Lord, as we study out uh, how our brains work and how we function psychologically, uh, even our bodies, how they, uh, these things, they all come back and they correlate with the everlasting, eternal word of God. And Lord, you said, listen, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Lord, help us to understand that these are principles give us the ability to fight fair. To handle the conflict that comes in any marriage in a productive way. In a way that makes us better, draws us closer, binds us together even more. We desperately need these things. So Lord, I just ask that you would Speak to each one of us. This is rubber meets the road. These are the kind of Sundays where we think about hard things. Where we realize, wow, there's some, there's some things in my life that I just need to think about. I need to practice better. I need to give myself to. But this is so important in the grand scheme of things. The world is best, desperately looking on needing to know about Jesus. And our marriage is a witness to the power of Jesus Christ. Help us, I pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning as we finish worship. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.